Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Amen. Give it up for Cassie. That was awesome. Thank you so much. We are so excited about camp. And uh, man, we're just so glad you're here today. Thanks for being here today. And how y'all doing? You doing well? Well, I, I just believe that God has brought all of you here, all of us here for a reason today. And I'm just praying that um, you're open to receiving whatever it is he has you here for today. And so we are in week number four of a teaching series that we're calling Every Good Work. How many know that everything that God does is good? How many know that God is always working? Therefore, all of God's work is good. Amen. And so today I want to talk about the idea of your greatest work. Because within every person is a hope to be great at something, right? We all want to be great. We want to be great at our work. We want to be great at, I don't know, being funny. We want to be great at being a barista or being a ballerina or being successful in business or being a great leader or be great at making money. Anybody want to be great at that? Right? We want to be great at something. And what's interesting about our dreams to be great is that you are only one out of seven billion plus people on the planet. And what's interesting about that is that there's no one else like you. Like you were literally created for a special work that was, that's all your own, meaning there's no one else that's like you with the exact mix of abilities and personality and, and passions. There's no one else like you and God's created you that way. And even though we are completely unique, we also share something very critical, something, something in common, and it's a desire to be great. And I think when I say that, some are going, I don't know if I desire to be great. We all long for it in some way. We long for significance. We want what we do to be important, to matter. You know, as a kid, we dream about becoming something great, don't we? But I wonder how many of us have dreams or that, that our dreams that we had as a kid is not exactly what we do today. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like how many of you are actually doing what you dreamed about when you were five or six years old? Maybe a few of us. I know that for me, for my five-year-old self, I was not running around saying, man, I can't wait to be a pastor. You know, that, <laughs> that was not my dream. And probably the farthest thing from my dream was being that. That seemed like a nightmare. Although, although the dreams, you know, about what we're going to do in life change, the dream to become great stays within us. It doesn't change. And so today is titled Your Greatest Work. And I love the lesson on greatness that Jesus gave the disciples in the Gospels. It says this in Luke 22. It says, the disciples bickered over which one of them would be considered the greatest in the kingdom. So first of all, if you know anything about the disciples in this particular moment, this actually came up, it seems to be, a few different times. Sometimes they were walking, sometimes they were at a meal. This conversation about which one of them would be considered the greatest was something they talked about at least a few times. And in this particular case, it's, it's on the heels of the, the Last Supper with Jesus. So this is, this is right after Jesus and them experienced this supper. Can you imagine this conversation coming up? This is right after Jesus washed their feet. Can you imagine this discussion coming up? This is right after he said, uh, someone, one of you is going to betray me. Can you imagine this discussion comes up? And so it says in verse 25, Jesus interrupted their argument saying, 
The kings and men of authority in this world rule oppressively over their subjects, claiming that they do it for the good of the people. They are obsessed with how others see them. That, that speaks to me, right? This probably speaks to you. But this is not your calling. You will lead by a different model. The greatest, everyone say greatest. The greatest one among you will live as one called to serve. Everyone say serve. serve. The leaders, oh, excuse me, serve with others without honor. The, the greatest honor and authority is reserved for the one who has a servant heart. The leaders who are served are the most important in your eyes. But this is Jesus speaking to them. But in the kingdom, it is the servants who lead. Am I not here with you as one who serves? Now, we should actually be floored by this because Jesus taught this 2,000 years ago. So many of us understand this biblical principle, yet we disobey it around every corner, constantly. We disregard it and think that greatness is actually achieved by acquiring more, by leadership position, by accumulation, by authority, by respect, by status, by becoming more successful in the eyes of others. That's what we think greatness is about, yet Jesus redefined it 2,000 years ago and we're still struggling with it. Most of us find ourselves in this struggle in some form or fashion. We call, claw and scratch for credit, for status, or even more success. But Jesus says greatness is found in serving. I don't know about you, but this, this speaks to my heart. Is, it, is this speaking to anybody's heart yet? We're going somewhere today, and, and, and I have to return to these kind of things often because I need them. But before I keep going, I want you to know that this message is not about serving. <laughs> this message is going to be about obedience. And what I mean by that is that obviously includes the idea of serving. But remember, we understand what God teaches many of the times. We understand that principle. You've probably, if you've been in church very much, heard something to this degree. However, we disobey it all the time. And so I want to talk about obedience. So let's start with this statement on screen. Obedience is our greatest work, but it is also our greatest threat to life. Your success and significance is dependent on your obedience. It's our greatest threat to life because when we disregard truth, when we ignore what we already know, or when we passively disobey God without thinking about it, we'll never experience the greatness he created us for. As I thought about how to approach what I feel like God's put in my heart to say today, I felt like I needed to kind of position this idea around obedience sort of in the crosshairs of, of life, specifically the idea of life to the full or living a life that is satisfying because we all want meaning and purpose. And so a life of significance, so to speak, a life uh, that is fulfilling, in many ways, I believe that's connected to this hope that we all have for greatness because we all want to have a great life. We all want to have the best life that we could ever have. Like that's what we long for. And when we don't, aren't experiencing it, it feels like we still need to reach for something different. And although there's something good in the pursuit, there's something that could be missing in what we think brings life. So Jesus, of course, talked about this idea of life to the full. John 10.10, 10. you guys know the passage, right? 
A lot of you do. It says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now the Greek word for fullness is a word called pletho. It means filled to the brim. How many like your coffee like that, right? It means filled to the brim. Pletho, not Plato, Pletho. Everyone say Pletho. P-L-E-T-H-O, Pletho. It's actually where the word plethora comes from. And so I Googled the definition of plethora. And the first definition that came up on my Google search said this. Exact quote, plethora means an abundance or excess of something. That makes sense. But the definition goes on. If you have 15 different people who want to take you on a date, you have a plethora of romantic possibilities. <laughs> that's an amazing way to define it. And so that's not what we're talking about today, but I do pray on anybody that needs a date. I pray plethora over you. In fact, this might be a good time to just look at someone you're thinking about, maybe asking out, give them one of, you know, a little nod, a little wink. Plethora, it's coming. Back to Jesus, John chapter 10, verse 10. His purpose in coming is that you would experience a life to the full. Like he really truly wants to give you that and he honestly has already showed you everything you need to know in order to experience it. He wants one that is filled to the brim, not lacking, one that doesn't feel drained, right? John 4, John 4, 14 says it this way. This is Jesus again speaking. He said, if anyone drinks the living water I give them, they will never be thirsty again. For when you drink the water I give you, you'll be filled, right? It will become a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit flooding you with endless life. My guess is, and my guess is that all of us would resonate with that idea, that the idea of the Holy Spirit flooding you with endless life sounds kind of nice, sounds kind of good. But let me ask you, would you say today that your life is full? Or would you say that your life tank feels drained? And, and I, I made up that term, I don't know, maybe it's made, been said before, but I made up this term life tank to kind of describe something for us today. Because I think if we think about our life in the idea of like a fuel gauge, for example, it could either feel drained or it can feel full. And we have a, let's just do this real quick. I want you to think about your life right now. I want you to kind of be an active participant for just a moment. And I want you to consider, how does life feel right now? Does it feel like you're running on fumes? Where's the needle pointing for you? Does it feel like you're running on fumes? Does it feel like oh, probably a quarter tank, half tank, three quarters of a tank? Does it feel full? Does it feel overflowing? There's no wrong answer here. But I really want you for a moment to consider, how does life feel? And I'm not talking about activity and busyness. I'm not talking about that kind of fullness. I'm talking about the fullness of life. Does your life feel like it's full of life? Because here's, here's what I know, is that sometimes we're living, but we're lacking life, right? That we can be alive, we can be going for it, we can be going through the days, but we're still lacking the life that we're looking for. So to be clear, I want you to know I'm talking about how do you feel about the life that God's created you to live? My guess is most of us, this is just a guess, most of us would identify our life tank less than where we would want it to be. Uh, if we're at a quarter tank, we wish it was at least three quarters of a tank. If we're at a half tank, we wish it was full. 
For about three quarter, we wish it was full. If it's full, we wish it was overflowing. My guess is that anybody that is experiencing a half tank or below, that is probably accompanied by some discouragement, some disappointment, some confusion about your life. How did I get here and what am I doing? This may not mean that you're depressed or that you're struggling with self-esteem, although a lot of people walk through that challenge and those battles and that may be where you're at. But it could just mean that you're restless, you're frustrated, you got confusion. And some of us are struggling in life right now. And if that's where you are, what I would wanna say to you first of all is that God sees you right where you're at that God understands the struggle you're going through and he wants to be the answer to your challenges. He wants to be the one you turn to in this moment because he says he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you, he's always for you, he's with you. And so I would say to you, first of all, that if, there, if, if you're looking at life and I'm, and I'm tapping on something that you're like, I didn't wanna think about this today, but all of a sudden I'm coming face to face with, yeah, my life has been in a struggle and I am not feeling like it's full at all. It feels like a half tank, quarter tank, running on fumes, whatever it is, that's where you're at. First of all, God sees you and, and, and he understands that and he wants to help you. And I would even say that this church wants to help you. If you're struggling, we'd love to pray with you today. But I know for many with a half a tank or below, chances are, that you're looking for where does that go? Is it because that there's a problem in life? Maybe you're frustrated in your marriage or maybe your finances or maybe there's some major area of your life in which you, your life is not living up to the hopes and dreams you once had. And I just wanna say with this because often what happens is we try and fuel our, thing, our, our life with things that are intended to be a reservoir. And what I mean by that, they're not fuel, they need fuel. And so, if you're dissatisfied with life and you think, oh, my marriage is the problem or my job is the problem or I'm disappointed about how much money I make or how much success I've had, if you think life comes from those things, the problem is that those are reservoirs and they need fuel themselves. See, a healthy marriage needs fuel. A marriage can be life-giving, but at the end of the day, it does not sustain life. It needs life. Here's the deal, a job, although it's very good and you want a job that you love, but it will never fulfill your need for life. It is something that needs fuel for life. And so you actually need a different fuel source, but so many of us are trying to be fueled by things that are reservoirs. You're trying to be fooled by things that are, off, that are tanks within our life that need to be filled by something else. There's only one source of life and it's found in Jesus. And it's Jesus, the one that fills our tanks. He's the one that gets us overflowing. He's the living water that fills us with life so that the things we do in life, the things that we have in life, the relationships that we have in life become robust and abundant. And those are, that's where we start to understand that all oh, the relationships he's given me they're even more fulfilling when I put them through the lens of Jesus and I allow Jesus to work in them. The same with my job, the same with my problems. I mean, it, the list goes on, right? So how do we allow Jesus to fill our tanks flooding with endless life? That's the question, isn't it? Because we really wanna know how to do it, but I just want you to know, I feel like Jesus was teaching this constantly. This is really one of the main things he talked about throughout the gospel is he was showing us how to live what to care about, what not to care about, what to not worry about, how to build things, how to talk about things, what to do. He was constantly showing us how through his instructions. And so it's crazy how much instruction we get about life from this one book. 
right? We get so much instruction, not only from the teachings of Jesus in the gospels, but throughout the whole narrative of scripture, throughout the whole Bible, it is teaching us how to live. This is what I mean by obedience, because a life is found in obedience. Obedience is our success and our significance. And so check this out in 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant, there's that word, servant of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Ah, snap. We are back to every good work, right? Here we go. Scripture will equip you with every good work. Obedience to God's word is what leads you to every good work. Jesus was continually telling us what to do and how to experience life. I love this passage, Matthew 19, 17. Catch this one. It's a good one, right? He says, and why do you ask what good work you need to do? He's asking that question. Keep the commandments and you'll enter into the life of God. Isn't that interesting? He says, why do you keep asking me what good work to do? Why, why is this a question for you? Why are you confused? Why are you wondering what to do with your life? He says it's simple. Keep the commandments and you'll enter into a life with God. John 14, 15 says it this way. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. And so here's the thing. Like, are we thinking, oh, he's just all about us doing the exact things that he says? I think he's trying to show us something. He's like, I already told you what to do and how to live if you just obey him, you would actually experience my promise. If I've given you, he says, I've given you all you need. A few verses later in John 14, he says it this way in verse 23. He said, Jesus said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and will come to make our home with them. Who, who in here wants God to make his home with you? Anyone who does not love me, guess what? They will not obey my teaching. So if we would be obedient to the things we already know that come from his word, about who we are, about what we're supposed to be about, about the things that we're supposed to do, if we would be more about that instead of being paralyzed by the things we don't know, I think life would be a lot different. In other words, this is how we live it. We, we are obedient to what we know and patient in what we don't know. God has revealed so much about life, hasn't he? And see, we don't think he has. We think it's a life's a big mystery. But he's actually revealed quite a bit about life, our calling, our character through his word. So we already know a lot about what we need to be doing. Because here's the thing. The journey to doing the things about what we're supposed to do in life, it's always preceded by a journey of, of, a, of a servant of God who's willing to become first. Like, who am I becoming in Christ? And whenever we go there, we start to understand that Jesus has given us a lot of instruction. And he's given us a lot of commissions to go and do. How many know the commission is a pretty big word, right? Like it's, if you're commissioned, you're being commanded to do something. And we know that Jesus, he actually, we actually, we referenced the great commission a lot, but he's commissioned us to do many things. Matthew 28, of course, he commissioned us in the great commission to go into all the world, to make disciples, to baptize them, and to teach them to do what? To teach them to obey everything I've commanded. I thought you guys would get that one. 
But then in Matthew 10, he said, he's also commissioned us to heal, to raise up, to cast out. In Matthew 26, he's commissioned us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor. In Acts 1, he's commissioned us under the power of the Holy Spirit to go and be his witness, right? Not only in our city, but in our nation and to the ends of the earth. These are commissions that Jesus has given us. And there are many ways we carry out those commissions. In fact, because you're unique, one of a kind, one out of seven billion plus, you're gonna carry out those commissions in your own unique way. Thank goodness we have a lot of people and we have a lot of different, you know, what if we were all designed exactly the same? That'd be a pretty boring world, right? But instead God's so infinite in his creativity and the way he uses us that he's gonna design you the way you are, but you're gonna go carry out his commands, carry out his commissions in your own way and in the way that God's designed you to do it. And I believe as a church, we must wake up to our passive disobedience of the commissions of Jesus. We're passive with his commissions. We just are. We think someone else will do it. We think our calling is about us and not about him. So we think, God, what do you want me to do? And he's like, I already told you what to do, but you don't want to do what I told you to do because that's about me and not you. See, those sorts of things are just truth, right? And when we're not willing to obey the truth, guess what we're doing? We're disobeying. And it says those who do not love me will disobey my teachings. And I know you don't wanna be a person that says I don't love God. And so for us, we have to learn what it means to obey. In Mark 4, well, before I get that, because, because we know this, here's the thing, we know a lot about his word, don't we? In fact, I just wanna put something on the screen and this is it, you already know. Look at the person next to you right now and say, you already know. You already know. You already know. And this is what I'm trying to say is you actually already know the things that you're supposed to be obedient to. So this big confusion example that I give about life, there's a lot of things you should not be confused about and that you probably aren't. You're just not focused on those things. In Mark 4, there's a story about the disciples and Jesus. They were on a boat and a strong storm came up. If you've been in church, you've probably heard this storm. And, or heard about, heard about the story, but there's a storm. It's so violent that the disciples are actually afraid and think they're gonna die. And all this time, Jesus is asleep. Jesus is asleep, he's sleeping through the storm. No problem for him. So hashtag, what would Jesus do? Apparently Jesus would take a nap, right? Mark 48, or four, verse 38, there we go. It says this, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion and they woke him and said to him, teacher, do, not, do you not care that we are perishing? <laughs> Which is an amazing question. Do you not care that we're perishing? They asked this to the savior of the world who's come to save all who are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now this is a bit of a strange story because they actually come to Jesus in their time of need, don't they? They, they come to him and they ask him for help. They believed Jesus is the only one that can help us in this situation. So Jesus wakes up, helps them. He calms the storm. And then he says, why are you so afraid? Do you not have any faith? That's where it could be a little bit confusing if you're really trying to follow the story. Because this stands out to me. Why don't you have any faith? Why did Jesus ask him that? I'm sure the disciples are thinking, yeah, we have faith. That's why we came to you. We came to you because we have faith in you. We have faith that you could have fixed it. I knew, I knew we were supposed to come. I was supposed to come to Jesus. But maybe Jesus is saying something a little different. Maybe he's saying, 
Why do you keep coming to me to do the work I've empowered you to do? Sometimes we have, we have to know that we've, that we've even prayed enough and it's time to start obeying. And this is true, that we can actually pray things too long and we aren't obeying the way we should. I think it was Bill Johnson who said, prayer is a beautiful thing and it's incredibly important, but it should never replace obedience. I love prayer. We're, we're a house, we're a church, a house of prayer. Prayer is the pathway to God's presence and the doorway to his power, but obedience is the step through that doorway. He said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out. He said, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks. He said, love your neighbor. He said, be my witness. We have to obey what he said. Sometimes we're waiting on God to answer our prayer and we've missed the fact that he said, you're the answer. Meaning, hey, God saved my city. He's like, yeah, 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 you're light, you're salt, go do it. He's like, I'll fix my family. He's like, oh, no, no, hold up, hold up. Why are you, why are you still lacking faith? Why are you crying out to me to do the thing that I've empowered you to do? Your work, your greatest work is, is, is going to be found in obedience, right? He says in Romans 8.11, it says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that he's put in us, that same power. And he's like, you're asking me to do what I've empowered you to do. So often we wait on God to work when he said, I've put you to work. You already know. The disciples are on their boat, they're confused. And when Jesus said, do you still not have any faith? They were like, yes, we do, we believe in you. That's why we woke you up. And Jesus is like, you don't understand. That's what I'm doing. I'm trying to wake you up. I'm trying to wake you up. You already know. And I would say this to everybody in the room. Even if you're new to faith, you're exploring faith, there's things that you know. There's truth that you know. You already know. And we need to be obedient to what we already know. Often we obsess and continually stumble over the things we don't know. And the things that we do know, those are the things that we ignore. So we spend all of our spiritual fuel praying and fretting and worrying over the things we don't know. And God is like, well, if you just go do what you do know, I'll be able to bless you and give you more and be able to show you probably the things you don't know. It's called being faithful in the little things. How many know that oftentimes those things aren't so little? Because here's the thing about greatness and opportunities. They often come in the form of simple and small obedience. I want you to think about the opportunity of David when he defeats Goliath, right? It wasn't some clear knock at the door where there was a step of obedience to some huge call that came to David that day. Goliath didn't come to David's door and... Hey, David, David, your destiny goes through me. That didn't happen. Guess what did happen, though? The opportunity for greatness was a much smaller form of obedience. David's father came to him and said, hey, I want you to take this bread to your brothers in the battlefield. David was obedient to his father and took the bread to his brother in the, in the battlefield. He was obedient first, and the opportunity for greatness came after his obedience. Maybe we could say it this way. I'll put this thought on screen for you as we're about to close. We have to be obedient in the small things before we stumble into the great things. Listen, your greatness is dependent on the work that God wants to do in you and through you. 
The greatest things God has for us in life are often found after years of faithful and obedient yeses to what may feel like to countless small and insignificant decisions of obedience. But that's where we find the full life. It's behind the bold but also simple and consistent obedience to the ways of Jesus. In Luke 16.10, Jesus says, if you are faithful in the little things, you'll be trusted in the greater things. Be faithful in what I've already given you and the things you already know, and I'll give you more. Now listen, obedience, I just gotta say this before I finish. Obedience does not mean perfection. This isn't about perfection. This is about an authentic faith of passionate love for Jesus that understands we're all human. And this is big because we will all fail. Failing could be a good thing for the person who's humble and wants to grow. We learn through failing. You know, Elon Musk, not necessarily a Christian, but he says this about SpaceX and Tesla. He says, failing is not an option. It's a necessity here. He says, if you're not failing, you're not growing. And I like that. Robert McGee in his book, Search for Significance, great title, by the way. We're all searching for significance. He says this about failure. He says, we have a choice in our response to failure. We can condemn or we can learn. All of us fail, but this doesn't mean that we are failures. We need to understand that failing can be a step towards maturity, not a permanent blot on our self-esteem. We don't have to allow failure to prevent us from being used by God. I bring this up because many of us don't obey because we're afraid we're gonna fail. Or we don't obey because we have failed. And so we failed yesterday, so we feel like it takes us out for today. I'm saying to you that we're all human and our failures don't define us and they should never stop us from the great life that God wants to give us. This isn't about perfection, it's about passion. It's about love. It's about knowing every day we have the opportunity to trust and obey no matter if we failed yesterday. We can get up today and we can obey again. We can obey again. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. He makes it simple. He says, keep the commandments and you'll enter into the life of God. You see, your greatest work is obedience. That's your greatest work. That's your greatest work. Then no matter what you do, where you live, no matter what challenges you face, what successes you have, or what failure, failures you go through, your life can be full, full. It can be filled to the brim. A playtho of life, right? A playtho that comes from living the ways of Jesus. Now, I don't teach obedience to teach behavior modification or to teach correction or guilt or even holiness, although obedience is a part of all those things. I teach it as encouragement today because life can be really hard. And one of, the th one of the things we see in life is that we keep going to the wrong things to get life. And I want to encourage you where you find life. This is, this is the teachings of Jesus. So with many of us, we're trying to find a great life and we breeze past Jesus's most critical lesson. He says, oh yeah, it's the servant who will be great. It's the one who's humble, not selfish. 
our aspirations for greatness, however big and they are in our life or however suppressed we try to make them, our aspirations for greatness would shape our self-esteem, would shape our value, would shape our sense of worth, would shape how good we feel about life if we're at a quarter tank or three quarters of a tank. It's all about how great we feel our life is. You gotta understand that our aspirations for greatness can even be clouded by our own dreams because we think that our dreams are the dreams that God gives us, but I'm telling you, if you don't put those dreams through obedience, they become something else. Are you being obedient to the things you know about God's will for your life? Because if you're not being obedient to his commissions and his commands, you're going on a different path. Obedient to the ways of Jesus and the commissions that he's placed on your life will be your success and your significance. Are you being obedient to God's word? That begins with reading it. So here's how I wanna close. I, wanna, I want you to do something. I want you to send a message to yourself. So I want you to actually get your phone out. Ooh, church foul. <laughs> get your phone out. And I want you to type something down in just a second. And you can type this down to send yourself a text message or an email or put it in your notes, wherever you will. I want you to see this again. So hopefully this doesn't go off into cyberspace and you never see it again. If you're like, I have a journal, you can write it in your journal, that's fine. But I want you to write this statement down. Send it to yourself. My greatest work is found in humble obedience to my great God. My greatest work is found in humble obedience to my great God. I want you to send that to yourself. Because you already know. <laughs> you already know that it's about obedience. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. You already know. When you're obedient, you walk in the empowerment that he's given you to do his work. And you're willing to serve others beyond before yourself. When you're faithful in the little things, like David taking the bread where it needs to go, that's when you walk into God's miracles. That's when you walk into the fullness of life. That's when you have the playtho. That's when you have the life filled to the brim and overflowing, flooded with his presence. You already know, every good work begins with Jesus. And Jesus has told you everything you need to go, know to go and live the life that he's destined you to live. So quit searching and start living the things you already know. Let's begin there. All right, friends, I wanna pray over you. And to do that, I'd like, to, I'd like to just pray over you in a way that I'm going to have you stand. So if you'd just stand with us. And I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to work in us. And so to do that, go ahead and close your eyes, bow your heads. I would even invite you, kind of like we did in worship today, if you want to put your hands out in front of you, that's kind of a, just a sign of, Lord, I'm, I'm present with you and I want to receive. But I also have my hands open that I'm willing to give whatever I'm clenching onto in life. You see, the hands open is a sign of surrender. It's a sign of saying, God, nothing I have is mine. It's all yours. But also everything that you want to give me, I'm willing to take. And I just want to pray some things over you. So as I pray this, make these your prayer. Father, we begin by saying we thank you for life. We thank you for the promise of life to the full. 
Would you just thank him for that even in your own heart? Say, thank you for life. Father, we thank you for teaching us everything we need to know. Father, we want to hunger and thirst for you. Father, we want to trust you and obey your word. Would you, would you say that even yourself today? Father, I want to trust you and I want to obey your word. We just pray that to him. Father, we want to do what we already know we're called to do. We want to carry out your commissions. Father, we want to see greatness by the way we serve and by the way we humble ourselves. So Lord, just like you taught us, we, we want to obey you because we love you. Father, we thank you for the work of your hand. And we call it all of it, all of it good. I want to close with this. If, if today is feeling like you, when I did that fuel gauge thing, you're like, life feels drained. I'm not even looking today. I'm just going to stay with my head bowed as well. But if you would acknowledge before the Lord today that you just feel drained of life or you feel way below where you want to be and you just want to be filled with his life today, no one's looking, not even me. Would you just lift your hand and say that before the Father to say, I'm feeling drained. I'm feeling empty. I'm feeling like I'm on fumes. I feel like I'm at a quarter, a half. I'm below where I need to be. Just lift your hand. God, I pray that you would fill those who feel drained of life right now. You are the giver of life, the creator of life, and we ask that you'd come near to those needing a fresh filling of your presence and that you would fill them. In Jesus' name, we ask you to fill right now. Would you just say that to him? Would you say, Lord, I need you to fill me with your life? I pray that over everyone in the room, God, just fill me up. You can just say that, God, just fill me up. And I would just say this, that that filling, it can happen now, but it's, it's also the refilling is an act of obedience. Lord, we want to obey. God, we thank you for your love. I thank you for each person in this room. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, it's so good to be with you today. And a couple quick things as we get ready to close is, one, um, if, you have a conver- if, you have, if you want to have a conversation about faith, about God, we would love to talk to you. Uh, we want every person to know Jesus as their savior. And if you don't know him in that way, can we talk? Just come forward, we'll be right here. I'm gonna be done in just a minute. No, no hurries, no hurry here. I'm about to leave, I'm about to let you leave. But listen, a couple other things. Um, I just wanna close with this. Actually, yeah, I wanna close with this. We're just gonna say this together. We're gonna, we're gonna say that statement we said ourselves. My greatest work is found in humble obedience to my great God. Y'all ready? So here's what we're going to do. Y'all say it right after I say it. You repeat me. Say, my greatest work is found in humble obedience to my great God. Guys, we love you. There's a few reminders on the screen. If you'd like to give today, that's all on the back. Our prayer bracelets are out in in the lobby. Be praying for camp. We love you all. Our prayer team is here to pray for any person that has a need in life, that has anything going on in life. We want to pray with you before you leave today. You guys have a great Sunday. Love you all. See ya. You're dismissed. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, We'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at OKC 
communitychurch.com.